0: Don't keep your distance There we are. Nice to have a bit of uh, Julie Covington to uh, replace Long John Baldry for one week only. Uh, as we talk uh, Argentina, delighted to say, joined from Campeche, Mexico, by a man who's, uh, who keeps his eye on everything in Latin America, that's uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us.
1: Good evening. Yep, This uh, continues nicely. Our Evita 70 years on yes. the death of Evita season. How long will Abs- it last this season? <laughs>
0: Well, this week, certainly, because um, we're going to talk inflation. I mean, we're, we're the Bank of England are, are talking about 14% inflation over here. Um, but you know, if we think we've got it bad, it's nothing compared to some of the economies in uh, Latin America. I just read really you this bit um, that was in the Times about Argentina. If uh, Sergio Massa needed any reminder that he has one of the most difficult jobs in the world, it came when he arrived at the presidential office to be sworn in as Argentina's third economy minister in a month three different uh, chancellors, if you like, in one month. It's like being manager of Watford that um, as his black government van drew towards the palace's iron gates, protesters surround it. So he's already unpopular. And um, presumably it's, it's sort of endemic in Argentina, I- inflation, is it not?
1: It really is and has been for basically about two generations now. And as you say, actually, inflation is projected to reach 70 percent at the end end of this year, um, which also has a knock-on effect, obviously, you know, across multiple different areas of the economy. One of the areas is that in order to try and get inflation uh, under control, uh, interest rates keep being hiked up. So interest rates at the moment in Argentina are 52%. Um, uh, 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 an analyst uh, described the Argentine situation at the moment as whack-a-mole, which I think is actually a great description because the government tries to do something and that just has a net... Um, effect on something else and it spirals out of control. And actually it's no accident that we're talking about Evita in this context, because really I mean it is worth remembering that about a hundred years ago, Argentina was one of the most stable and significant and wealthy economies and countries in the world. But actually Peron came into power um Evita's husband uh and one of the first things that he did uh, was uh, was to triple state expenditure i mean it wasn't really of the left or of the right but he he went a little bit crazy with with spending and he doubled state employees uh, state uh, companies went up tenfold over a over a 3 year period um and that basically laid um set the foundations for the uh, massive inherent infrastructural economic woes that Argentina has been suffering ever since and in particular over the course of the last two generations which basically follows a cycle of uh, bailouts by the IMF um, restructure of the economy and cutbacks in a kind of neoliberal model uh, then uh, they can't repay uh, the debt so they have to restructure um, and then there's another bailout and so on and where you're at, at the moment is that this isn't just the economic woes of a particular country at a particular point but everybody knows what's happened uh to them over the course of the last 40 50 years so there is no confidence in the economy and anybody who's got a peso in their pocket wants to get rid of it and exchange it for something else which obviously exacerbates the situation um still further i mean it's a, it's a country which has no get out really in terms of its economic woes at the moment and then you multiply that by the By the current global woes that we're all suffering in terms of, you know, likely or present already global recession, uh, you know, inflation generated by, uh, Ukraine, Russia and a variety of other, other factors and so on. And yeah, for sure, uh, you know, it is a, it is a worst case scenario current, currently taking place down in Argentina.
0: Yeah I mean how does it uh, how does the man on the Buenos Aires omnibus if you like uh, react to to all this and I mean we we hear that uh, uh, Sergio Massa the new uh, chancellor if you like has been greeted by protesters but is there uh, a feeling that I mean I know it has in the past but is there a feeling that these economic woes could lead to you know insurrection and uh, violence
1: I think look in, in argentina honestly with with uh, economics and civil strife th- th- these things re- fairly regularly crop up on a, on a regular basis. i wouldn't say that it 's necessarily at the point now where it could reach sort of a national um, e- epidemic in terms of social reaction uh, but but for sure you know people are unhappy and have have been unhappy for a long period of time now. the way that the the average um, individual in uh, on the Buenos Aires Omnibus deals with it is they know that they have to, uh, shift the peso that they get paid in as soon as possible into something else, into ideally hard currency, but then there are risk- economic restrictions on changing into the dollar. Um, so what, so there's a whole black market, a whole parallel black market. Gold, as we know, uh, you know, has, has gone through the roof over the last 10 years and so on, especially in certain, Especially in certain countries, so buying of gold or buying of metals or buying of uh, you know other uh, infrastructure takes place, all of which continues to multiply the the devaluation of the of the peso in and of itself so um, there's not once, once you get into that death spiral of uh, of inflation reaching these figures, then it just gets uh, to, to the only way you can actually stop it is through uh, in foreign international investment and holding of foreign currency or bullion and so on. But the, the, but the catch 22 is nobody's going to do that because they're worried about losing everything themselves anyway. So somehow you've got to generate confidence in your economy in order for to, to bring those investors uh, back. Uh, and good luck with doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Interesting is as our inflation rates sort of risen here. I occasionally just I like to know. um, I like to know what the other side's thinking. I watched the right wing TV channels, which we've got a couple of now in the uh, in the UK news channels, so called. And uh, I've noticed that uh, loads of um, loads of companies are advertising now. You know, if you've got any old gold at home, broken jewelry, any gold, um, you know, we'll buy it off you, etc., etc. And there's a lot of uh, adverts for buying gold coins and all, and all that. So I suppose yeah. when you get this economic uncertainty, gold becomes a bit of a sort of go to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Things like that hold their value, but not increase in value. And that's where in economic, you know, in turbulent economic times, where we go to is in parallel value systems that are not going to hyperinflate yeah absolutely.
0: Um, looking at uh, uh, another disturbing story this is in in mexico in the north of mexico uh, you have some miners trapped there, and there's a, a race against time to to free them.
1: yeah, I mean assuming that they're even alive, there's been no contact with them. nobody knows whether they're alive or not. This has been the big story in uh, in in Mexico for the last uh, 10 days or so. This disaster happened on August the 3rd, so they've been in for nine days now. It's right near the border with, with the U.S., uh, in Guahuila, a small place called Aualhita in Guahuila, only about 10 miles from the, from the border with Texas. And it's a, and it's an area that historically had loads of coal mines, um, uh, pockmarking the, the states. Ooh.
0: We appear to have lost John. That's not happened before. For ages anyway. Um, I've we've lost him. That's a pity that I'd like to have uh, heard more about these uh, trapped Mexican miners. But sadly, I don't think we're going to at the time being. Um, also, um, uh, John was going to tell us. Uh, we've got him back now. Uh, John, we lost you for a second there. So um, tell us again about the... It, it's, I mean, we don't know whether these, uh, these uh, miners are alive or not. Um, but the, uh, the rescue efforts continue.
1: Yeah, we, we, there's been no contact with the, with the 10 remaining in- trap miners. They've been underground for 10 days now. And it's in an area just south of the border with, with the USA, which historically had a lot of coal mining uh, taking place. But actually, the major coal companies have left the area and have left the coal mines open so you've got now a load of wildcat miners individuals and small groups that go in there and these guys were in there about 10 days ago when they accidentally knocked into a shaft full of water and flooded the entire mine five of them got out with injuries but 10 remain trapped there and there's about 400 uh military uh navy and so on uh professionals trying to get into to get them out or at least find them but so far nothing's happened the first attempt to go in they've been draining the water uh since 10 days ago the first attempt for divers to go in happened two days ago but they actually only managed to advance a few meters and then got got blocked so had to retreat so uh, at the moment it's definitely not looking good and that certainly is leading to protests uh from the families and so on in 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 the area that are demanding that the government and the authorities do more
0: Yeah. And presumably there must be some sort of movement to close these mines up, you would think, because it sounds to me as though, you know, even before this, it was an accident waiting to happen.
1: It's difficult because these mines uh, take over such a massive space. They're completely unmapped. They're completely you know impossible to police and so on. So, uh, you know, nobody really knows quite the the state of play with all of these. And obviously you've then got the, the general decrepitude over time of the safety systems in these mines too so uh, certainly the authorities uh, a, a. don't have the will or, and secondly don't have the wherewithal really to do anything about it
0: Yeah. Just finally some um, cheerful news uh, four South American countries have joined together this seems to be quite, um, quite a trend at the moment You know, to have a joint World Cup bid uh, they're bidding for the 2030 World Cup tell me about that
1: they are, and actually, the trend is a little bit to do with a, an attempt to make a bid more successful by sharing it around, but also because FIFA keep, keeps increasing the numbers of of uh, of qualifying countries. So mm. you kind of almost—I mean, no individual country can actually, you know, host a, a, such a significant number. So uh, this has been the trend, and actually, for 2030, it's no accident that Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, and Paraguay have mounted a joint bid because it is exactly a exactly hundred years on from the first world, which took place in Uruguay, the final in Montevideo, which Uruguay won 4-2 against Argentina. So they are very much uh, tugging on on uh, on the on emotion and the heartstrings of the international footballing public to say it's time. I mean, I know you know in the UK we say a lot about the football's coming home in England, but really the Uruguayans <laughs> would have on, a different yeah. um, perspective and that, and that's what they're interested in. I think they've got a decent chance of success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it'd be a great place to, uh, to hold it. A great four places to hold it. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much. Do appreciate it. And we'll talk again next week. Alright, take care. Good